Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. This is Dana Scott from AZ Central and Mr. Orange, my co-host, uh, a.k.a. Patrick Batillo, head coach of Peoria High School Boys Basketball, here for the second episode of the Inferno podcast. Uh, today, we're going to discuss the All-Star Weekend Review and talk about Chris Paul uh, being out for the next six to eight weeks, reevaluated after his right thumb fracture that he suffered against the Rockets. Uh, last week uh, and then we'll discuss the Suns moving forward from there in the second half of the season primarily without him and the review of the Michigan Wisconsin post-game brawl on Sunday so first things first what do you think about the all-star weekend yeah hey Dana you know a uh, little disappointed overall with if you put the weekend into perspective specifically Saturday night Typically, that's that's an exciting night that most fans really enjoy. Uh, the dunk contest, three-point contest, and uh, I think everyone is in agreement that that was a little um, lackluster, to say the least. Yeah. Uh, but then we go into Sunday and the All-Star Game and the ceremony, uh, Chris Paul receiving the award, uh, the 75th anniversary celebration, and obviously, as we get into the fourth quarter, how exciting the game became. So I think it, it started off a little bit slow overall, uh, but I definitely liked Sunday and, and how it ended overall. What about you? Yeah, the thing about the All-Star game was, I'll start with that. It was actually pretty entertaining. Obviously, they don't play defense until the fourth quarter when the, both teams want to win it. But for the Suns review, as I was tracking the game and making updates on the, about Devin Booker's performance, he actually was the early favorite for MVP, in my opinion, in many people's opinion. He had started off with 18 points through the first two quarters, and it was the second leading score for Team Durant behind Joel Embiid. So um, if he kept playing uh, pretty good in terms of just putting the offense right there with Team LeBron, um, they were they trailed, they traded the lead a couple times, but trailed most of the game. And I, I like Devin's, uh, he, he, early on, he scored 16 points in 12 minutes. And then at, towards the end of the game, he had 20 points in 30 minutes. So that was pretty stellar representing Phoenix. And with Chris Paul, you know, obviously the, it was pretty ceremonious for him to get those two awards for the inaugural uh, Vanessa and Gigi Bryant and WNBA Advocacy Award. It's great because you always see him at Mercury games and bring in the Suns out to support the Mercury. And also him being a 75er. And it's the 75 greatest players of the NBA history is probably the best event that you, or the best moment of the weekend. I mean, you see all the greats that are still alive and even the highlights together. It just is this euphoric experience as an NBA fan. If you've tracked the NBA a long time as we have, that's just a, a rush of, of emotions that you see with those plays come back with all those guys like Bird, Magic, uh, Jerry West, um, you know, Elgin uh, Baylor, rest in peace, and just so many greats like, you know, Shaquille O'Neal and the greats that are of today that are, are playing and matched up. It's, it's awesome to see the Suns. There was five Suns that actually got named. Jason Kidd, five former Suns, including Jason Kidd and Steve Nash, um, 
and you got uh, Chris Paul, of course, and the other two, um, Charles Barkley, and what was the fifth? Um, I'm trying to say, I'm the tip of my tongue. Um, I'm trying to mention the, this. The fifth was, well, it'll come back to me in a second. It'll come back to you, yeah. Yeah, but the thing about the 75th anniversary was just amazing because the 50th anniversary, I remember, you know, when I was in high school, it was just so awesome to see so many great names. Uh, I mean, my own heroes at the time, the contemporaries then were Scottie Pippen and, you know, Jordan and Ewing, Barkley, um, and, and, and guys that were, and, and O'Neal, who was controversial at the time because he was only in his fourth season or, you know, when he uh, came in and, and made that 50 list. But now, of course, he's proven that he should be a part of it, and he was thankful to be a part of it. So, uh, but the slam dunk contest was trash. And I knew it was trash from the start. I knew it wasn't going to be any good. Obviously, you want to get the big names in there. And this is important for the, for the NBA to change that up. Uh, because it's important to have the dunk contest part of the NBA fabric for All-Star Weekend. They put it away for a couple of years in the late 90s until Vince Carter came along and brought it back in 2000. And they had that two-on-two challenge to replace it because it was so bad for so many years. And then after Vince Carter, it was bad again. Um, so what do you say about the dunk contest? Yeah, that's the thing. You know, I look forward to it, honestly, but each year it depends who actually is going to want to participate. Right. Um, and some years it's, it's super exciting. And then other years like this year, I, I thought it was a letdown and then it makes people think, you know, why, why do we have this? And yeah. so that, that's where it just gets challenging is who, who's going to actually want to participate and then what type of show are they really going to put on? And I think you hit a lot of it on the head with all-star game itself. Devin Booker came out looking great. Uh, very confident. It was really good to see him put up those type of numbers and play that game. Um, mm -hmm. Obviously, Monty Williams and his staff, uh, just so excited for all of them to have that opportunity to go out there and enjoy the weekend. Uh, Well-deserved, you know, after what uh, overall year uh, that, that staff has had. And so I think Phoenix was well-represented. Um, you alluded to it, you know, from the 50th anniversary, now 75th. Uh, for me personally, some of those greats that were in the uh, NBA lane commercial with me, you know, seeing Wilkins there and uh, Robert Parrish, the chief, uh, was really, really cool for me as I'm watching to, you know, know I was able to interact with those, uh, you know, legends and, and put together that commercial and that promo. So it really just brings that whole NBA feeling together uh, every time there's an all-star weekend that goes on and bringing all those greats together in a room, uh, just listening to Inside the NBA and, and all of the behind the scenes that goes into that entire weekend as a fan of the game, uh, it is super exciting just that overall experience that we get to be a part of. Yeah, right. And also the fifth son, uh, former son to be part of the 75 team was Shaquille O'Neal, duh. <laughs> you know, he did play and he actually yeah, was, the, he was the co-MVP of the last time the All-Star game was in Phoenix. So let me mention that. And also the great thing about the, about the game itself was the ending with LeBron shooting the fadeaway jump shot on the right side in his front of his hometown crowd after he said that he wouldn't rule out we're coming back to Cleveland. Obviously, there is some rift you know, that he feels between him and the L.A. front office of saying that. So um, it's not <laughs> tampering on himself, but 
he he definitely has his eyes open on playing with his son. If it's back in Cleveland for a homecoming, that would be the end of his storybook career. And it would take him at least uh, three more years to get there uh, with the Bronny would be a one and done out of college. So uh, the great things of the All-Star Weekend definitely was a 75 uh, event, like I said before. And I was really looking for some interactions like Scottie Pippen and Michael Jordan after Scottie came out with that book uh, that just kind of just throwing Jordan under the bus after the last dance and, and things of that nature. And I saw a clip of Ray Allen <laughs> walking past uh, uh, dapping up LeBron, who was standing behind Devin, Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce, who were next to each other, and Paul Pierce smirked because Ray Allen would not acknowledge them in that championship that they won together in 2008. It was just kind of, it, it's just a weird inner rivalry. I look for those inner conflicts and, and mannerisms between guys. Uh, so let's move on to the next topic about Chris Paul not being here, uh, not being available for the next six to eight weeks, basically most of the regular season. So. Chris Paul has a white thumb fracture that he suffered against the Houston Rockets back uh, the last game that was the last of their seven-game win streak uh, entering the All-Star weekend. Uh, the Rockets, uh, Jay Sean Tate was defending a pass that Paul threw into the post from the left slot and accidentally tapped his his right thumb a little too much on uh, Tate trying to defend it and just fractured his thumb. So do you feel like Chris Paul is – that it would have happened if he was younger or was, is this a sign of his age and the injuries that recur, including that same right hand that he injured in the playoffs last year? You know, I don't – obviously you age and we all age. So I wouldn't attest it to that. It's just one of those freak injuries – I mean, look at our roster right now and how many guys have had um, these kind of random uh, injuries that have put them out for, you know, similar amounts of time. So I, I wouldn't I wouldn't focus too much on it being a Chris Paul age thing. I what I do feel confident in is the Suns bench and um, our strength of schedule, I believe, if I'm correct, it's about 25th uh, weakest uh, down the stretch here where other teams, you know, we, we played the heavy uh, competition up front. And so I think, you know, if we were going to have to be without Chris Paul for any amount of time before the playoffs, this would be that stretch. Yeah, of course, going into the playoffs, you want everybody healthy and, and clicking on all cylinders. And hopefully he's able to, you know, get back just before then. But I, I think with the strength of schedule and the talent that we have in the depth, I don't see us dropping off the Suns in a major way or concern of, of where that'll be. And I think Chris Paul and the Suns want to take their time with this and make sure he's completely healthy. We saw what happened as we headed into the finals last year and all the speculation that surrounded that and his performance in the finals. And then obviously after that, you know, the, the news officially came out. So I think definitely wanting to take our time and, and make sure that he's right is, is the proper move here. Yeah, the thing about those the depth of the Suns is that they have Alfred Payton, Aaron Holiday. They just got him at the trade deadline. They also got uh, they have Cameron Payne, who will be back eventually. So they're working with Payne, um, and they're working with Holiday and with Payton right now, rather. So Holiday's known for his defense. He's basically the younger brother of Drew over at the Bucks, and it's almost like seeing a smaller, younger carbon copy of his older brother. 
And those holidays, as Monty said, after their win uh, over Orlando last week, up, up, actually over the, um, it, yeah, over Orlando, that it, that's what the holidays are known for, just talking the ball, real def tough defenders, and just don't let you get much. And they're great ball handlers, and, and they're just efficient players than when they come off the bench, if they're coming off the bench. And that's what Aaron's for. And to not make the same mistake of having just two point guards back him up last playoffs uh, when they had just Javon Carter and Cameron Payne. Now, Cameron Payne had a great playoff run, uh, and Javon Carter wasn't really uh, the offensive threat that they needed him to be. He's more of a defensive bulldog, just as he was when he was in college at West Virginia and when he was a steals champ for the whole entire nation in his senior year back in 2018. So uh, the thing about Holiday is that what he brings to the table is the defensive bulldog and the offense that Javon Carter couldn't bring. Now, Cameron Payne, when he comes back, he's known for those teardrop uh, bank shots, you know, getting near the lane, and he doesn't have really a mid-range game. He's not a mid-range shooter. He's more of a three-point threat than a mid-range threat. And so that could complement when you have them with Booker or one or the other, depending on how Monty does his rotations and how they're going to figure that out. Now, uh, with Peyton coming off, um, you know, he's another guy that they have is he's basically the, the probably the most offensive, uh, offensively talented player of the three backups there. So I see Peyton getting more minutes. This is a second go around with the Suns in the past four years. He gets the system, you know, he, he knows where he fits in the offense. And I think that he will pan out to be, a, you know, better than his first go around and he'll find his way uh, as he has over this the past couple of uh, months that he's been back with Phoenix. Um, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just going to say another uh, great storyline. I actually will be there. Uh, Sunday, March 6th, when we uh, take on the Bucks, And what type of matchup will that be with Chris Paul out and, you know, Payne not knowing if he'll be back, having the Holiday Brothers, you know, dueling on the courts uh, there in Milwaukee. So I think, uh, you know, that's going to be an exciting, exciting matchup to see for sure. And I'm sure those two will look forward to that. As yeah, well. it's going to be dope, man. I mean, I love how those holidays or when brothers play against each other, like the Ball Brothers, the Holiday Brothers or – you know, the Barry brothers back in the 90s or um, it, 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 it's always fun to see brothers go up against each other. Um, like who are some Absolutely. other brothers that you remember going up, going up against each other? There was, um, you know, the also the Harvey and, and Horace Grant. Remember them? The tw uh, Morris twins. The Morris twins. They go up against yeah. each other. Yeah. And I remember when they got uh, sent uh, away from each other uh, in yeah. a trade. They, oh, kinda, yeah. they got pissed off about that, <laughs> you know, when they were on the Suns too at one point. And whenever any of the Morris twins come back, they get booed, you know, when they play yeah. in Phoenix, right? For this, because it was an acrimonious departure from the organization. And that was kind of uh, around the time that Goran Dragic was now with the Nets. He just resigned. Uh, he just signed with the Nets off of waivers yesterday or after a bot in the, in the bio market um, with the, he, coming from the Spurs. Um, after that trade from Miami, yeah, he uh, was pretty much. Uh, oh no, actually, he was with uh, the Raptors. Let me, let me rephrase that, right? Correct. Yep, Raptors. He was okay. with Miami, but then they traded him to Raptors. Uh, this offseason right. to the Raptors, and then yeah. now, yeah, with Brooklyn. 
Okay, so that's the course of you know action. So yeah, that, that's going to be interesting to see uh, when you got those you know the brothers come up against each other and moving forward about the Sun schedule. They have ten, fourteen of those of, of their guy of their uh, opponents. Um, there are twenty four games left. Now they're all above five hundred, right? And ten of those. Uh, teams are in the top five for the Eastern and Western Conference. So that's going to be interesting to see how they pan out. And all those, some of these teams are sleepers, I say. Like Portland, uh, they're, I believe, in the 10th spot in the West. So, but they have a little young talent. They still have Lillard and they have Anthony Simons, who is emerging right now. And that's going to be on March 2nd uh, before they take on the Knicks. Um, the Knicks are on March 4th, and then they have the Bucks on March 6th. So they have uh, three games. The Suns have three games in four days coming up this week through Sunday. And then next week they have uh, Portland, New York, and, and they're at Milwaukee. So that's March 2nd, 4th, and 6th, respectively. And then the following week they have three games. Um, they have four games in five days, so they have – Orlando, they're at Orlando, they're at Miami, they're at Toronto, and then the Lakers, uh, the last two at home. So that's March 8, 9, that's a back-to-back, the 11th and the 13th. So they have some tough games, and I don't rule out Orlando because they do have tough talent, even though they're such a uh, a bad team. I did see the Orlando game a couple, you know, like last week, and they were – Orlando had Jalen Suggs, who actually is a, a fantasy of uh, uh, great right now I, he's one of the top fantasy players in the league if you look at his stats and I think that with you said that the Suns have a soft schedule they are more of like a you know, one, one of the softest schedules down the stretch and that could help with Monty figuring out what rotations he needs you know for the playoffs you know, against some of these teams. But there are some teams that will have a grind axe. And the NBA, I love Charles Barkley's quote when he says, you know, you could lose any night in the NBA because that other team's got NBA players too. Absolutely. And that's yep. the great thing about this league is that you never know on any given night. Like, the, they couldn't – the Suns barely put away the Rockets. And yeah, that's a, a 12-win team, you know. Yep. <laughs> so the Rockets – or have a lot of great young talent. Jalen Green who was in that terrible dunk contest. And, and then you got, you know, guys like Kevin Porter Jr. when he comes back and he doesn't, you know, go just batty and just trying to like, you know, or leave the arena because he doesn't, you know, get playing time that he likes or whatever the reason. Yeah. And then they got Christian Wood when he's available and he's a walking double-double. And they got – you know, uh, Eric Gordon, who's even his advanced age is still putting in work. That's yeah. great. And, and so those are teams like when you see teams like Sacramento Kings on March 20th or the Timberwolves. Um, and then you've got Oklahoma City Thunder, which shall go Julius Alexander. And then you got, you know, the, uh, Jason Giddy, that young Australian rookie who's emerging and coming into his own. Those are teams that you got to look out for that might not be great, but they do have young talent. And so those are the ones that I really look forward to watching as well, because some games, you, a lot of people will look at their record and think that those are the gimme games and they're not. 
there's when you're playing that many games no. in a short stretch, it's going to wear on you. And yeah. that's the great thing about the NBA is that, you know, when you're traveling and you're playing that many games one after another and seeing different defensive sets and schemes, you know, it, it'll wear you down for sure. And here's the bottom line. Not only the NBA teams, you're the Phoenix Suns. You made it to the NBA Finals last year, and you're the number one team in the league and in the Western Conference this year. So you're on everyone's radar. So it doesn't matter, like you said, if you're a 12-win team or a 30- or 40-win team. When, when you play the Phoenix Suns, you are going to get their best. And so, yeah, the strength of schedule may not favor that, but none of these are going to be give me games mm -hmm. because everyone wants to make a statement against the Suns. Right. Exactly. The statement games are, are, are certainly something that a lot of those 500 or above teams are going to want to make against the Suns is that to show them like this is a playoff preview. We're a playoff team, too. Don't count us out and don't think that you're just going to get over on us just because you got uh, you know, your record almost at 50 wins. So those teams are certainly going to look to knock them out. But I like um, but I, from what I see down the line, I think they're tough as opponents in the second half. Uh, they're going to be the Bucks, the Heat, uh, and I see uh, – I don't even know if I should count the Lakers because they have the Lakers on March 13th, but the Lakers just can't figure their situation out. I think they're going to burn that down somehow. They're going to figure out that burn it down. Um, and then the Bulls on March 18th, and they have the Rockets again. They're at, at Houston on March 16th. The Warriors on March 30th and the Sixers, that was a grind uh, last month or earlier this month against Philadelphia. Then they got the Grizzlies on April 1st. So I think those are the games that I would circle on my calendar as the grind games. Um, and the Clippers, too, that even though they're barely at 500, they can probably skate in on the playing tournament, but they're probably not going to beat the Suns. But if we get a return of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, I, I see that that could shape up to be in a maybe a playoff preview of Suns one versus eight in a rematch of the Western Conference Finals that we saw last year. Um, so the thing I was going to mention about the dunk contest and Jalen Green too, uh, just a quick backup. My dad called me and asked me, and I had other friends ask me, "You going to watch the dunk contest tonight?" I said, "No." You know why? Because it's been bad for years. It's been terrible for years. I don't care about it. All they do is bring props out, you know, just so they can make it look more uh, majestic. It's almost like a Broadway play more than the actual dunk contest of all when you have the big names like Dr. J, Dominic Wilkins, Michael Jordan. Um, you know, you, you and you got a couple of no names, you know, guys who are probably 12th guy on the bench competing. Those are the guys that we used to have and get excited for. We don't have that anymore. It's been a long time. We don't have the Vince Carters. We don't have the Dwight Howards. You know, all we have is the guys who would just dress up and, 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 you know, put Tim's on. I can't believe Greg Anthony allowed his kid to jump up in Tim's like he's at a local park in New York, you know, trying to dunk <laughs> because he's just a dude who's standing on the side and refuses to get into a pickup game and wants to dunk. And Tim's like, yo, let me see if I can just dunk in these Tim's real quick. You know, like just stuff like that is why I really did not want to watch the dunk contest. And I was really, really mad about it. And it, the great thing about the dunk contest now is that people are so pissed off about it that they're demanding a change. 
Other than that, nobody cared. And the last right. breakdown contest was right. 2016 when Zach Levine and Aaron Gordon went head to head. Everything else before then, for at least a good nine years, when uh, in 2009, I believe the grass grade dunk contest with Nate Robinson, five foot eight Nate Robinson versus seven foot Dwight Howard. That was, and they did the whole Lex Luger versus Superman thing. Those were the only great dunk contest props that I could imagine in the past, what, 12 years, maybe 13, you know, 13 years. Everything else has been, besides the Aaron Gordon and, and uh, Zach Levine dunking with a windmill from a foul line, that those are the great, those are the only ones that I can remember. Everything else has been trash. And that's the thing that is is kind of irks me about why people put themselves through the dunk contest to watch and get mad. But I'm glad people did, and I'm glad that I did. Uh, so the last topic we wanted to talk about before signing off on this podcast was about the Michigan versus Wisconsin thing. Michigan versus Wisconsin brawl on Sunday. I was watching that game for a little bit. And I'm a Michigan fan from way back. I'm a huge Juwan Howard fan. I love the Fab Five back in the day. I wore black socks, shaved my head bald, had the black shoes, the, the baggy shorts drooped low under my boxers, showing and everything. I, I, I did that all when I was a kid. And the Fab Five started that. Now, Michigan obviously has a weird kind of sordid history with the Fab Five, and they – Basically, Kiston made up with them and allowed Chris Weber back into the fold after a 20-year ban, if you will. And they did not want to have anything to do with the Fab Five's accomplishments and tucked their banners into the catacombs of Michigan's athletic department. And then they just basically rolled it out and said, you know what? We forgive you. Michigan's done well. They made a national championship game in 2013. And that was the 20th anniversary of the... Fab Five's last trip to the final uh, final four and also the uh, final uh, championship game that they made uh, against North Carolina and lost with that infamous timeout. And then they hired Jawan Howard, which was pretty much Michigan's favorite son for Michigan basketball. And he's looked at as the golden child of the Fab Five, the thinker of the Fab Five. And they pretty much gave the nod to him to run the program. And he got coach of the year in his second season, right? Is that correct? Second season or yeah. was it his first yeah. season? Okay. So then he goes after in the handshake line against uh, coach guard of Wisconsin. Juwan Howard basically puts on a full court press down 61 to 77 and basically just puts on a press that causes guard to call a timeout. Two timeouts within 15 seconds, and the remaining 15 seconds left in the game. Juwan Howard doesn't like the timeouts. And so Juwan Howard shoots past him and says, basically, like, don't touch me because guard wanted to explain, like, why are you not shaking my hand? Whatever they said in an exchange clearly was, was not pleasant. So Juwan Howard got upset. Kid, you know, Juwan Howard's from the south side of Chicago. And so when somebody touches him, he's probably like, oh, it's on. So I'm thinking that as I turned back to the game, because I pretty much just assumed that Michigan was going to lose and they were getting blown out, I saw the end where as the TV was going off, 
to and CBS was switching its broadcast to uh, the I believe Winter Olympics. They basically showed the end of the game where there was a brawl, and how Jawan Howard smacked the assistant coach of Wisconsin. Now, these types of things happen as a high school basketball coach. How do you handle these types of situations? So first, I don't even understand where Howard has issue with another coach executing what he feels is necessary. So what I mean by that is Howard's down, he puts a full court press in place. That's your decision, that's your strategy. So the other coach has timeouts. Obviously you're still coaching your team. He had put in, I believe his entire bench. And so those guys don't have the same experience that his starters do. So why are you taking to him calling the timeouts late? Do you expect him just to allow your press to work and you expect him not to coach? Like I, that part I don't get as a competitor. So that's where it starts. Then his actions completely uncalled for and inappropriate, regardless of the reason. So you cannot, as a head coach of a, pro, a program, um, as prestigious as Michigan, make any type of contact with another individual, let alone another coach. Um, that there's just no place for that in sport. It, it's unacceptable. It's uncalled for. He wasn't defending himself from physical contact. Obviously, he uh, apologized for that after the fact and uh, suspended five games, um, you know, without pay. But it, it, it's just it's disheartening to see that, to be honest with you, because as, as a coach, we are held to a very high standard. We set the tone for our entire program. And those actions, therefore, indicated that something of that magnitude is acceptable. And when you're holding your athletes accountable and, and being the face of your organization, um, you, you cannot act in a manner like that. Right. No. Okay. So two things I also take away from this one, Michigan is 14 and 11. They're not having the season that they were last year where they almost made the final four barely got beat by UCLA as a top seed. And they don't have any all Americans. They're basically scrapping this season. They know they're probably not, but I know Joe Lenardi had them as like one of the last six in for the NCAA tournament. They're probably going to make the NIT at best. They might have even make the NIT in the, if they lose the last five games. So, you know, they, they, they lost to Ohio State. They lost to Wisconsin. They got three out of their last five games were against ranked opponents and uh, against, let's see, they got Iowa and also they have, let's see, Michigan State who just fell out of the top 25 is, is the other one. And so I know the other two are ranked, and I can't name offhand who they are. But the great thing about about what happened is it brings the conversation to, and I love Tom Izzo's reaction to this. It's like we're sick and tired of scrapping what needs to happen on a higher moral ground just to basically appease these kids of this generation. Now, Juwan Howard is a younger coach. I mean, he's not young to the standard of maybe Tom Izzo. Uh, I mean, he is, but he is young to, to maybe the, like the age of Tom Izzo, who's in his late 60s. But he's tired of the country, the way we handle things, in which we're just basically going to have this cancel culture and just be like, you know, let's just do away with this and then not do it again. You know what? Suck it up. Be a man. Shake the other guy's hand for kicking your ass and move on. That's how sports goes. There's a win or lose. You don't like what happened? Save it for the post-game press. Right. Tell what you don't like about what happened. But sometimes you got to hear the context of the other coach 
when you see it through the press, guard was said that maybe Jawan Howard doesn't know the rule about you get another 10 seconds when you call a timeout. And if you're going to press me and I'm not going to put my guys through four seconds of intensity and not making half past half court, and you're basically going to try to chuck up threes within 15 seconds. And then we've had history of seeing this happen where guys can hit three threes in nine seconds. Then you're back in the game, right? So, if so, I mean, they're down 15 or it was 15 to go, or, or down 16 or 15 to go. I mean, they're trying to shave the lead. I mean, there's it, those are still teaching moments for teams that are down, and that's what Jawan Howard was trying to do. I get that. So he's still trying to teach the guys that are in how to fight in a game scenario where you're down, but you can't be upset and angry when a guy who sees you're trying to still fight your way back in and teach. And you're going to basically counter that by teaching your own team how to not let up the lead and get a team basically back in the game when you're basically trying to get out of there. And it's a home game too. So the other thing about it is going deeper about the Fab Five history. Juwan Howard basically is the guy who they, like I said before, they gave a pass to and said, you know what? He's qualified to coach. He should be the coach. He basically, he was an All-American. He was a, you know, a great student and he represents the university well. Now, what Michigan, if you don't remember that Fab Five documentary on ESPN, the 30 for 30, talking about how Michigan was a starting five freshmen and then the sophomores, they were the starting five, bald heads. They brought the hip hop element to college basketball at a time when college basketball was pretty much just kind of high and dry, just a bunch of dudes with, you know, short shorts and exception of UNLV, you know, with Larry Johnson and, and uh, those guys like Stacey Ogman who were dunking all over everybody, but, or, or even Georgetown back in the, you know, the 80s, Michigan was the game changer. The Fab Five were game changers, but the alumni didn't like them. A lot of alumni didn't really like, a lot of alumni didn't like the Fab Five and they were really racist. And it's like, we don't want those N-words on the court representing our university. So then you have, a guy like Juwan Howard comes in his third season and smacking a white coach up. How does that look? I mean, let's be real here. College basketball has a lot of undertones of racial strife, and it did for years. And then you got Juwan Howard coming in, trying to basically physically prove his point and basically not letting his ego go in the postgame press conference that right after, the, you know, he smacked up that guy and it makes these racist alumni feel vindicated. Like, see, we don't want him. And then if, if you don't get rid of him, you know, and some of these alumni are big boosters, we don't want him back. And if you bring him back, we're not giving you our endowment money. And I'm not vouching for that, but this is the types of things that I think about in terms of way where Juwan Howard were in the Fab Five legacy was basically let back in and those people who were the conservative naysayers be like, see, this is why we didn't want Juwan Howard as a coach. I'm sure there were plenty of people from that Michigan alumni conservative base that did not want him as a coach. That's the sad part about it. I look for in this whole thing. Yeah. And that's, and there's so many storylines here, Dana. And that's the part that's um, 
disappointing, honestly. I don't I don't know there's anyone that can defend the actions. And if you do, I mean, what what example are you setting? But bottom line is you're coaching, you got beat. Like you said, there's a winner and there's a loser. Those individuals that are out there on the court in those moments should be taught and coached the exact same way because you never know due to injury, foul out, so many situations, you know, I talk about as a coach. When you're in there, yeah, a lot of people call those junk minutes, but I don't because there could be a time that one of those individuals that are getting those minutes are needed in a crucial time. And if they don't have that experience and we don't coach them in those same moments, the same way, how can we rely on them when we call on them in, in moments that are more crucial? And so as a competitor, how, how are you upset that that coach also was competing still just because you were losing and down? Like, you don't think it's right? Like, no, that's not how this game works. And that's integrity to the game. And, and I respect coaches that play with integrity for the game. And so it was just, it was all around was very, very disappointing uh, to see out of Howard. It looked like a chicken with its head cut off. It, it, Michigan became a headless chicken at that point. Because when the players started smacking, you know, up the Wisconsin guys or, you know, the two players that are now suspended, um, and there were others that were in the fracas, it became just, uh, you know, Jawan Howard basically lost his leadership ability. And he's supposed to be the leader of the Fab Five. That, and, that, and that's you know, back when he was a player. And he's also the leader of the university, you know, representing the university, that is. And I'm just really, really hoping – that there's no further fallout from his suspension and 40 grand that he owes uh, for, you know, what he did on Sunday. But this concludes our second episode of the Inferno Suns podcast. Thanks for listening in. Next week, we'll be back with some more material talking about the Suns and their, their return to the court and also everything that we need uh, to discuss about the Suns and We'll go from there. Sounds great. Everyone take care. Be safe. We'll chat with you next week. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.